Hi, Yolanda Brown here. Now, we are busy preparing for an exciting new season of LPO Offstage. Lots of goodies in store, I can assure you. But now I want to dip back into our ever-expanding archive and pull out a podcast from way back in November 2020. Oh, one of our first episodes, no less. And I joined violinist Tanya Mazzetti and trombonist Mark Templeton, or Tempo, to his colleagues and friends, that includes you, to talk about all things venue-related, the good the not so good and even the downright bad. We chatted about acoustics, backstage facilities and even the quality of the food and drink. Now, spoiler alert, Germany wins this one. It's a great listen. And also remember that we'd love to hear from you with any questions that you may have for anyone here at LPO Offstage. So do get in touch with us on social media or ping us an email offstage at lpo.org.uk and you may feature in a future edition. Enjoy. Hello and a very warm welcome to LPO Offstage with me, Yolanda Brown. This podcast is offering you a behind-the-scenes all-access pass to one of the UK's great symphony orchestras and its musicians. And just to make it clear for those of you wondering what LPO stands for, that's the London Philharmonic Orchestra. In this series, I'll be joined by players from across the orchestra and they'll all be talking about life in the LPO, from the musical nitty gritty to the latest orchestral gossip. Well, I hope so anyway. Uh, Oh yeah, that's a (laughs) no-no. That's a (laughs) no-no. That's a (laughs) no-no. In this third episode, which we're calling Where Are We Today? All About Venues. I'm joined by trombonist Mark Templeton and violinist Tanya Mazzetti. And as ever in these socially distanced times, we're chatting over the internet. Welcome, Mark and Tanya. Hi, Yolanda. Nice to meet you. Hi, Yolanda. Nice to see you. Hi. Hi. So perhaps we should start with your home venue at the Southbank Centre, which is the Royal Festival Hall. What's so special, Mark, about the Royal Festival Hall and being based there? Well, when they refurbished the Festival Hall a few years ago and they brought in lots of restaurants and bars and and, and things in the area, it kind of changed the the South Bank. Before that, there was the Pizza Express to have your tea over the road. Uh, and there yes, was an expensive, I know it well. Yeah, and there was a steak restaurant as well. But that was kind of it. So now, one of the nice things outside the venue is the fact that when we arrive to work, it's a kind of buzzing environment. And there's there's people coming through. You see the people coming through from Waterloo, sort of going up to the city and vice versa. It's very live, a live yes. place. I remember a few years ago, there was a summer concert that we were doing, and I only remember that Bolero was on the programme. They opened up the terrace bar looking overlooking the river, and the box office said that, that for the concert that night, it was about 20% were just walk-ins from people that were just out there sort of drinking, enjoying the sun, and were like, oh, I wonder what's on, and, and come in to... Pop in. That's one of the things I really like about South Bank. It's just, it feels, the whole area just feels quite alive, you know? And how about now? I mean, you're still going in to do the concert series, live streaming. What's it like going over to the South Bank now from your homes when you enter in? We've spoken about this hustle and bustle. What do you meet now when you go? It was a very strange feeling the first time I walked in by the stage door and meeting this empty place where the, the, you know, the front of ours is closed. And I feel very lucky that we are there performing anyway. And we are filming it. We are 
playing with the lights. We have silent studios filming us, which is very interesting and different. And it will be a way to reach also different audience. But of course, arriving, I mean, I walk Embankment Bridge to go to South yes. Bank and it feels so different. Like front of no house is, is closed and there's no people. I mean, there are a few oh. people eating and drinking still, sure. but luckily. But at this time, we, we would be almost ready for, you know, Christmas and Christmas markets and all oh, this. Yes. It's feels very different. Um, and we're speaking about venues today, Tanya. You've given us a wonderful picture about uh, the South Bank and then the beautiful Festival Hall. That's home for you. So acoustically, is that the benchmark? Or, you know, do you love the acoustics of the Festival Hall? I think we all love it and hate it, like every <laughs> every relationship. So it's it's our home. So there's something we are used to. It feels like our uh, normality. So we are used to, you know, how I hear other group of instruments or I don't. But it is our weekly, you know, habit. So how I hear myself, although that changed a lot with COVID now because we are playing with social distancing. I hear my own sound much more than I used to. It used to be more about blending. It still is, but I have to rely on my own sound because I don't hear hear people next to me so clearly and loud as before so uh, that is a big change as well for us and I guess especially as a violinist where you're normally in that section and yes. quite a, a powerful section at that maybe I know brass is louder but the violins have presence you know? <laughs> <laughs> um, so ha- when you're saying that you can hear yourself more do you have to change how you play then as a section to be able to hear each other and to balance with each other we have to go into a different habit. So the first concern when I came back after lockdown, it was that the section feels far. So I don't have such a clear idea and image of the section sound. I just have an image of my own sound and I have to trust it. Like I think everyone else needs to trust their own and they will make a blend so from where i'm sitting at the at the back which is further back and to the side that where we normally do uh obviously we can see everyone's much more spread out but from hearing it on stage and hearing it in the in the auditorium that space between players um and you're saying that you're relying on hearing yourself more because everyone is hearing themselves more do you find that the sound is kind of somehow bigger from from the from the whole orchestra interesting I think it might be. And I think there's a breathing quality in it because of the space. So normally when we play like a pianissimo or like very soft dynamic, what you are after is the the section sound. And now personally, I can't be after that because I will not have a clear image Maybe in the audience, they, they, I mean, surely in the audience they do. Maybe the conductor has it, but I don't. So there is a different color. I don't know how it is for you in the, um, in the brass how section. The how, brass how, section? how different yeah. is that? Like with you, when we're playing normally, there's literally a couple of shoeboxes between us, you know, and and, and, <laughs> and I can hear what, what everyone's doing re- really clearly. And also like you, I just have to rely that the, the guys are doing their normal job, playing how they normally play. It's harder for us to talk about balance, because obviously mm. the difference between the trombone section and the difference between the violin section for you know people sort of listening in is that obviously, you know, it, most of the time a violin section is playing, they're all playing exactly the same part. Um, yes. So like Tanya said, they're going for unanimity of sound, whereas with the trombone section, 
and we're all playing independent part and those three voices have to be heard equally but when two were there four obviously so that is more tricky but in the, the repertoire that we've done so far we all know how we play and relative volumes wise I think we're okay and we have to rely on the conductor having having good ears I suppose <laughs> take me back to what would you say is your favorite venue in the time that you've been touring at the LPO when you see it come up on the tour show do you think oh, I can't wait to play there again I do yes. have one Okay, I'll start with you, Mark, and then Tanya. Well, my favourite, for a few reasons, is in Frankfurt, the Alta Opera. Ooh. Partly because it's a really nice acoustic. You can hear everything on the stage. You, you get something back from the, from the auditorium. And when you're sitting on stage, you're just looking up at this big, long shoebox kind of just disappearing off. And so you know where you're aiming for. I mean, there's a lot, a lot of modern concert halls where you kind of don't really know where the, sure. where the audience is. And, and yes. it's a bit, you know, you know what I mean? It's a bit strange. But with Alto Opera, it's simple in its design and it's effective. And there are some nice restaurants and bars that we know uh, <laughs> in, in, in Frankfurt. That always um, makes it a bonus. But yeah, Frankfurt Alto, Alto Opera for me. Very nice. And how about backstage? Is it also as comfortable there? Because I know preparation is as important as the concert sometimes. I just wanted to say that for me, the backstage winner prize is the Hamburg, the Elbe Philharmonie. Ah, what's so great about that backstage? It's a new hall. And I think they really thought about very big spaces backstage. So every family of instruments have, um, every section basically have a, a different room to warm up. And then there is a cafeteria, which is always nice. There's a spaces to hang your instrument, even your violin. It feels luxury. There are sofas if you want to have a little, you know, rest. This must have been designed by a musician, I think. <laughs> a lot of venues do not have things like that. Talking backstage, though, I mean, what about Cologne? backstage uh, Cologne. I mean, Cologne yeah, yeah, yeah. you're right it, Cologne it wins like? because because of the beer <laughs> I'm sensing a trend here Mark food and <laughs> food and beverage is, I don't, I, is I don't the know what you leader. mean <laughs> what's so great about Cologne well, with Cologne, literally, this has been happening since I was playing there you know, 20 years ago with the Gustav Mahler Youth Orchestra. You come off stage and there are waiters and you know, people oh. backstage with each of them carrying a carrier with sort of 10 little bottles of Kölsch, which yes, is the please. local kind of, um, sort of sweet lager. And literally, before you've even got your instrument to the case, there's, there's a beer in your hand. Or, wow. or two if you're carrying one for a friend. Or two for yourself. Yes. Uh, uh, well, <laughs> small. They're only, they're only 0.2. They're only 0.2, those glasses. Yeah. So, you know. They, you're right. That's that's a winner. I mean, that socially, they're the, they're the best. Fan. But um, quite a few venues in Germany have that. No, they, they have not, not yeah. the beer, but they, they have this cafeteria backstage, yes. right backstage, like the Berlin one as well so that's it's very nice it's, it's more than a cafeteria isn't it there it's it's like yeah. they've, they've, it's like a deli and 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 everything the berlin yeah the berlin wow. have got it good they've, it's yeah that's really good yeah i have another backstage question i'm intrigued i have to say <laughs> <laughs> so we're speaking about these venues where you know they look after the artist and actually that is very important when the artist is comfortable or the musician is comfortable then it means that they can go out and do their job in a great way so on the flip side of that, I have to ask, which venues don't seem to be made for... I mean, first of all, how many people are in the LPO usually in a touring party? How many people would be on stage? It can be anywhere between kind of 75 up to 100, would you say, Tanya? Yes. So it can mm. get pretty cramped yeah. back there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm getting nods. I'm getting nods. 
<laughs> you know where I'm going with this. So when, yeah. when you get to a venue where, you know, not everyone can fit, how does it feel? Do tensions rise between musicians? Does, you know, are you fighting for space? How does it work? Are we authorized to give a like? You a, are allowed a, 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 to. This last, is this is the last, real last place award. <laughs> I I just want to point out that it's just backstage. It's not the audience. Only is backstage. Great, Only but, but this is the bit that none of the audience get to see. You would have gone out and played the most beautiful yeah. symphonies, but they don't know what has happened before so you've graced the stage. My vote is for. <laughs> <laughs> Would you agree, Mark? Yeah, yeah, it's pretty smelly. Backstage, just backstage, backstage. Paint the picture for us. What is it like backstage? So you get there, you've got your instruments, you've got your wonderful gowns or your, you know, your outfits. Well, first of all, it's you need to find a space to get changed, which is not so easy because we ladies normally get changed in the toilet. There is a room, but it's miles away, so no one really goes there. And the actual backstage place, it's it's tiny. So when we are there in about even, let's say, 60 or 70, mm. there's, there's literally no place. And normally wow. there's very little light. It's a place where you really just want to go out and have your beer. <laughs> so yeah, it's, also, it's also where the instrument boxes are, which is where we'll tend to kind of hang out and congregate and, and <laughs> get our things out before we go. It's, it's underneath the stage, but where you can actually see through. So noise bleeds through. So if you're not in a piece like the trombone's off Often, uh, absent from bits of repertoire we can't be there you can't play because the noise gets through but it's a nice place to go but that's the thing but going, actually nice. going down to and playing in the hall and, and everything is lovely and, and the audience is very nice and then they really always appreciate us a lot and yeah. it's, it's a lovely place to go so let's move to front of house now we're talking acoustics we're talking great views out into the theatres or hearing the audience what makes a good venue for you is it the size is it just the acoustics is it that you can see the audience what makes a good venue for you Tanya I might go back to my favorite venue so my favorite venue playing wise is Musikverein in Wien in Vienna and that is mainly because of the sound it's probably not the easiest venue to play in because the stage is quite tight. So we're, we always have to adjust where we are, you know, and we need to be in normal times really close to each other. Sure. So it's not the most comfortable one. But there's something about the sound, the quality of it, the warmth and clarity and the combination of the two things that makes it special. Plus, it's beautiful. I love it. It's just gorgeous to look at. And there is something also historical going on. There's a, a vibe about, about yes. it and, and yes. it's special for me. Acoustic-wise, for me, there are different parameters and they're probably different between me and Mark because we, we sit in very different places of the stage. Yes. So one is how you hear yourself, one is how you hear other people. So how clear is the sound, how is the body of the sound as well, and how yeah. it carries. And what about how you hear the applause? Does that mean anything to you? It is a mirror of yeah. how they're hearing you. It's how you hear them back. So sometimes the applause feels quite far away or very close and uh, or very alive or quite you know muted and it's a huge sign of the acoustic of the venue. Mark, what sort of acoustics do you favor? 
Tanya says about the, the different things that we need as bus players compared to string players. Mm. I mean, music vine is a, is a perfect case of point of what's different. So the music vine was built a very long time ago and they didn't expect to have the same decibel levels as can be generated by modern orchestras yeah. and especially modern brass instruments. So whenever I play in the music vine, yeah, it is lovely playing there because historically and, and the sound and when I'm not playing and listening to the orchestra, it is beautiful. But we can't play as brass players want to play That's in there because it would just be too loud and it would sort of bleed over the, the, the frequency spread and, and knock everything out. So, for instance, in a hall like the Festival Hall, Mm. which I do like playing on stage at Festival Hall because I, I feel I can hear everyone really clearly and that means we're, we're kind of in control of the, the product. But everyone knows the Festival Hall is not a really vibrant, boomy acoustic. So yes. as an orchestra, we have to work on that a little bit. So when I play a really short note, I can't go, ah, I've got to go, duh, and I've got to put a bit of artificial decay in, and all of us have to do that. So if we play too dry, then the sound would, would be too brittle. So we're manipulating the sound spectrum kind of like as we go. So when we go to somewhere like the Music Verein, we often have to kind of take a step back. I mean, the, the Palo, Palo Musica in, in Barcelona, it's all tiled behind the trombones. It's like Got sitting on, in a bathroom. Well, yeah, basically. <laughs> but from talking to my European friends who, who come over, when they play in the Festival Hall or the, or the Barbican, where they don't have the same acoustic support from the venue they find it really hard going the other way if they don't put that extra resonance on it's not going to sound how it sounds for them over there so it's tricky for for me I think more than Tanya sort of going around the European venues but it's equally for them coming to our venues it's tricky just because it's it's what they're not used to and also talking about music variety there's a really really nice chilli cheese sausage stand It's about 10 minutes walk away, it's, so, it's you know, so in between rehearsals. It always yeah. adds, adds to the performance. <laughs> I'm writing these down, Mark, I hope you know that for when I'm on tour. And yeah. so then, Tanya, how do you have to adapt your playing style? Do you adapt it when you're thinking of a contemporary piece versus a more traditional Beethoven symphony piece? Absolutely. And inside this, of course, I adapt it according to the venue. So if we play a classical piece, my own work would go towards clarity and articulation and brilliance in the sound. And if I play a romantic piece, I would go for a warmer sound, more rounder and projects a lot. And then it goes wide instead of sparkling. And contemporary pieces is always a question mark because it could be whatever and, uh, <laughs> and it's contrary. It's yes. according to what we find in the score. But having said that, maybe even like a classical symphony in a certain venue needs a bit of warmth or a bit more of, as Mark was saying, of care of the tail of the sound or a different attack to the sound if the hall is sometimes like a little bit glassy I don't know if there's a word maybe it needs a little bit more of roundness wow. so there's a bit of work but uh, it's it's fascinating because it makes every performance different and every night different and that's what is amazing on tour that every day we, we are somewhere else in, in yes and adapting and different and changing different to the food shape. a different venue different <laughs> different beer different beer Mark. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I was once a very long time ago touring Italy and it's with the Marley Chamber Orchestra and Daniel Harding was meant to be conducting but he cancelled um, his illness and it was Sir Neville Mariner that came in to conduct wow. 
And because it was quite short notice, he changed, I think, the second half. But in the first half, there was a commission for the orchestra by a composer. And this piece of contemporary music was written you know, for, for this event, and it went out on, on the television on Rayuno. But the piece was about sort of 17, 18 minutes long. And, of course, we, we played the premiere on the, on the tour, and, and then we went away, went away on, on tour. I'm sure I can get away with this. And when we got to the first venue, Sir Neville said, um, yes, with, um, this, with the, the acoustic in here, I think we might need to just change the piece a little bit. So can I just propose that we cut from figure seven to figure 13? Uh, because I think that would make the piece a little bit... OK, fine. So that shaved about three or four minutes off the piece. The next venue on the tour, yes, that cut worked. We, we might need to extend it, it a bit further. By the end of the tour, this 17-minute piece was down to about seven minutes That's long. fantastic. And of course, it was nothing to do with, with judgment on the quality of the piece by Sonova Mona at all. Yes. It, it was, I'm, sure, I'm sure it was just to do with the venue, because that's, that's what we're talking about, isn't it? Venues, I'm sure. Well, exactly. Well, this is an example I wanted to ask. You know, those, those major amendments that happen, it's interesting because the audience would, would be none the wiser, really, would they? And how do you feel, being a brass player, Mark, to play loud, to play openly, to feel sort of the resonance around your body must be the wonderful feeling of oh, being able to play great. the trombone, Oh, he feels great, I can right? tell you. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just answer that does for it, does you. It sa- does, it, does it sound like I feel great? It definitely does. Uh, and so, yeah. <laughs> so physically, if you were touring sort of in much older venues, you know that you have to adapt yourself. How do you feel sort of after three days on the trot of not being able to, you know, fully blast your, your sound and your instrument? <laughs> I can see your face, but I need you to describe this to our listeners. How does that feel for you as, as a musician within the orchestra? It's a difficult question because as a, as a teenager, especially being a brass player, and you get used to everything you play being heard, you know, because it's one person, you know, one, one part. And w- when you start kind of getting to the levels that we're at and you, you're quite confident in your ability and there's an amount of confidence that's with a little sprinkling of arrogance that you maybe just, just occasionally, it's like, no, listen to me. Yes. Yeah, all musicians have to have a little bit of that, yeah, you know. absolutely. When you're a teenager, you get used to kind of playing things as loud as you can because it's like you realise you can affect the world and you can move things and, and so kids really love doing things moving big things when they can it's yes, like, well, yes. and I'm a big kid I like making big sounds and big noises when I was 15 I played when I was in the, the CBSO Youth Orchestra which was the Midland Youth Orchestra but it's now the CBSO Youth Orchestra we played in the Symphony Hall before it was officially opened by the Queen in 1990 I remember the crit in the Birmingham Post now that sort of went along the lines of the Midland Youth Orchestra chose a suitable noise and bustle opener in the <laughs> Shostakovich Festive Overture with the unfettered brass making the strings hard put to make their presence <laughs> felt. The Midland Youth Orchestra made the Symphony Hall's million pound acoustic sound truly barn like. <laughs> It was kind of, you know, uh, I know it was a bit sort of tongue-in-cheek and a bit silly and, and basically saying that we basically loud. razzed it. <laughs> yeah. we, razzed, we, we razzed it. But as a teenager, I was like, yes! A, whoa, yes, it's we've done it! But like now, I'm older, yeah, I, I enjoy playing uh, loudly because it's, it's a good workout and playing loudly, in inverted commas, if that's how the, what the music needs and that's how we're feeling and the whole brass section are doing it together and it, and it balances with the orchestra and it's not overriding it, then we do. But, you know, we can't just ride rough shot and play really loud all the time because then then it's like being in a youth orchestra and we're not you know we're, we're kind of actually quite serious musicians you know absolutely um, so so you although still it is feel great mark <laughs> yeah i do feel great yeah, I, know, yeah, I do yeah 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 you're right i do it, do, it does it does feel good playing loud all right it does, it does. it's okay, great fine. but we don't have to do it all the time okay that's it's like, good. It's like ice cream the chance 
It's like ice cream. Yeah, everyone loves ice cream. But if you had ice cream for every meal, it would get a bit too much. This is very true. This is true. And Tanya, what do you prefer? You you beautifully described to us, you know, sometimes you have to play a more sparkly feel or if it's romantic, you'll play sort of more laid back. What's your favourite sort of sound to project? And do you get to do it often enough? I'm not sure I have a favorite. Mm. Uh, I mean, I, I really like variety and the LPO is great for that because we do a range of repertoire, which is very interesting. But I have to tell Mark, I do love the loud beats when we go to the highest point of the symphony and the brass are joining in and we, we can really play fully on and we are all together in that. So you see. I love oh, ice cream. I really love ice cream. <laughs> ice cream for all. Thank you, Tanya. Very sweet of you to say that. Thank you, Tanya. It's true. It's true. I've always loved playing in orchestra because there's a sense of being in there together and yeah. going for it and being part of a big thing that can be very sweet and tender or loud and, you know, strong, but that has been always my thing, being part of something amazing that it creates in that moment. Yeah, I feel the same, yeah. I get this feeling that the LPO really is a family effort. You know, everyone clubs together and wants to make, as you say, Mark, the best product, which is really, really wonderful to hear. And, you know, I, I've really loved hearing about all the different venues. I'm absolutely flabbergasted by the amount of adjustments and thinking that you have to make behind the scenes. I don't know if the audience always think about that and recognise it. So I'm glad that we were able to highlight all of the hard work that you do. And I hope that you're back on the road and back on tour very, very soon. But until then, thank you so much for sharing this time with me, Tanya and Mark. Thank you. Thank Thank you, you, Yolanda. Thank you. This is LPO Offstage with me, Yolanda Brown. And thanks so much to Mark Templeton and Tanya Mazzetti for their fantastic insights into the life of an LPO player and what they're up to at the moment. Do remember you can stream all the LPO's current concerts on Marquee TV. Just go to lpo.uk forward slash autumn 20 and you can watch every concert free for seven days. There's a new one every week, so keep your eyes and ears peeled you can subscribe to the podcast rate a review tell a friend etc and you should and get involved in the conversation you'll find all the links in the description of this podcast and using the hashtag offstage pod thanks very much for listening and do join me for the next episode which we're calling upbeats a podcast all about conductors and if there's not some juicy insights in that episode i'll be very disappointed <laughs>